Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. Today's talk is the fourth of our 26 classes on, uh, on the Dhammapada. Uh, this one is called the Papavaga uh, of Heartwood and Flowers. The Buddha uses the metaphor of uh, flowers to, to uh, illustrate uh, certain qualities of mind. Let me just read it. And it follows the first three classes on um, ever more increasing focus on what refined mindfulness actually looks like and how to develop it. The Buddha's words, who will overcome this realm of death with all its gods? Again, one of the, just such a powerful first line. The, the Buddha described living a human life rooted in ignorance as like a living death. And it, it makes sense because when we're rooted in ignorance, we're not actually experiencing the reality of this present moment. So it is the same as living as experiencing a living death. Who will perfect the well-taught eightfold path of wisdom as an expert garland maker perfects their floral designs? So an expert garland maker won't just grab a whole big pile of flowers and weeds and, and try to make some money off of that. They'll very carefully use their skill and their, their mindfulness of what they're doing to make a very beautiful arrangement. Well, we're doing the same thing. We're picking the flowers that are going to populate our mind. And that's again, that's what this this sutta is about. And so it's about picking flowers that grow in the heartwood of the Dhamma rather than, than are prevalent across the planet. What's prevalent across the planet is easy pickings for an ego, isn't it? It takes restraint, and we talked about last week and, and constantly. It takes restraint to know how to populate your mind with the right flowers, using the metaphor. The well-focused Dhamma practitioner will overcome this realm of death with all its gods. Again, another reference to the foolishness of believing in any speculative non-physical existence. The realm of death with all its gods. The well-focused Dhamma practitioner will perfect the well-taught A-fold path as an expert garland maker perfects their floral designs. Realizing that form is like foam on the water, a mirage, they deflect Mara's flower-tipped arrows of sensuality and go beyond the grasp of death. A flood sweeps away a village as ignorance sweeps away a person distracted by only picking flowers of pleasure. So again, we, we develop a conditioned mind that becomes conditioned, excuse me. That becomes conditioned at grasping after only what that mind rooted in ignorance feels will satisfy them, give them pleasure. And that mind will always be constantly grasping after anything that it conjectures might take away from that pleasure. Of course, both of those views are rooted in ignorance. And so there's a, there's a constant tension. Another word for that constant tension is stress, that we're just recognizing in the past 30 years how debilitating that type of inner tension is on a human life, on a human mind and a human body. The Buddha recognized this 2,600 years ago as the most debilitating effect of ignorance. His whole Dhamma is, is to address and understand that tension within us. 
of wrong views reverberating against that conditioned thinking. Continuing with a metaphor, Mara directs, Mara directs the, per, the person whose mind is distracted towards insatiable craving for flowers of pleasure. Mara is always <coughs> metaphor for a troubled mind rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths. A sage seeking alms is like a bee gathering honey. Both sustain themselves with moderation, always harmless. Both sustain themselves with moderation. Another reference to wise restraint. Life is not a banquet that we should try to take as much off the table as we can. Life is like a banquet that we should leave the table just a little bit hungry. We shouldn't always be filling our pockets or filling our mouths or filling our minds with nonsense. We develop right view and know what to hold in mind, what flowers we use to populate our mind. Always mindful of one's own sorry. Always mindful of one's own acts and unconcerned with others. The words of those lacking heartwood are like the words of those lacking heartwood are like a beautiful flower with no fragrance. Isn't that a wonderful line? Words lacking heartwood, like a beautiful flower with no fragrance. The words of those established in heartwood are skillful, like a beautiful and fragrant flower. Established in heartwood, though mortal, one does many good deeds, just as, as many fine garlands can be made from a heap of flowers. Though mortal, the Buddha is talking against the common belief of his time that only goodness and good things can come from supernatural sources. That if we gain anything of any benefit, it's a gift, not something that we have, are directly responsible for. And that relates to something we were talking about before, but it also relates to the fabricated view of karma, meaning that in order for me to develop good karma, I've got to do good things, and in that channel of goodness, that goodness will then be reflected back on me by some outside agency, usually called a god or a goddess, or, or the one mind universal system. The Buddha recognized the cruelty of all of that because it's just rooted in speculation. It's like a wilted flower. There's nothing there. The sweet smell of flowers is lost to the wind. The fragrance of true virtue, true virtue pervades all directions. Of all fragrance, the fragrance of virtue is sweetest. The fragrance of sandalwood and jasmine in, is faint. The fragrance of virtue touches all. Mara can never distract one from the Eightfold Path when they abide in mindfulness and right view. And that's a reflection of also the, the sixth factor of right effort. When we're holding in mind the intention to maintain, the intention to establish and maintain right view, we are practicing the heart of the Dhamma. Of course, that is the framework of the Eightfold Path. It's, it's providing all eight factors of the Eightfold Path to recognize and abandon when we are rooted in wrong view, a view that is arising from ignorance of Four Noble Truths. And to, as equally important to recognize when what I'm seeing of myself in relation to the world is rooted in reality of Four Noble Truths. And it is just that. We're either, we're either holding on to, to a, a, uh, a, a wilted flower or a flower in bloom as a reference to our mind. Our mind is either wilted 
and continually wilted by ignorance of four noble truths, or it's blooming the truth of reality in this present moment, which is the only time that we can practice the Dhamma, the only time we can practice restraint is through a well-concentrated mind, understanding what is framing its view. This is stress, this is the origination of stress, this is the cessation of stress, this is the path leading to the cessation of stress, the heart within the Dhamma. The Buddha continued. Tim, was there? Could you? I'm sorry. A lotus, fragrant and pleasing, grows in a heap of roadside rubbish. Even so, the disciple shines resplendent in the wisdom on the rubbish heap of mortals buried in ignorance. Read it again. Let me read those two lines. And watch that that smug little ha-ha. A lotus, fragrant and pleasing, grows in a heap of roadside rubbish. In other words, in, in the midst of all the difficulty and chaos in the world, the Dhamma is present. It's present within all the, all the to use a much more appropriate term today, to, rooted in all the ugliness of the world, is the pure, beautiful flower of the Dhamma, always present. Even so, the disciple shines resplendent in their wisdom on the rubbish heap of mortals buried in ignorance of Four Noble Truths. That's, yeah, I thought that was the end. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's a pretty powerful and fitting way to end uh, that chapter. Isn't it? The rubbish heap of ignorance. There's nothing... Again, this is... In the progression of these first four um, chapters, it gave us a broad view of understanding that, that the quality of mind determines our very determines this moment's existence, my experience of this moment. And now, four chapters later, it's refining us to saying what we're holding in mind, the Eightfold Path, will determine that, will determine the quality of our life experience. And so our life can be like a living death, meaning clinging to and maintaining ignorance, or abandoning that and living the liberation of a well-focused, well-concentrated mind. Uh, let's go online. We'll start with Josh. How are you this morning, Josh? Well, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Good morning, everybody. Morning. Uh, yes. You know, I, I thank you for the the Sutta, John, and, and uh, as always, it's very thought-provoking and, and, and I'm always trying to reflect how do I fit into this world of stress and, and uh, my relation to it and, and how much do I contribute to the stress and how much does the world con- contribute to my stress uh-huh. and uh, uh, I do know that if, if I if I try and pay attention to the, the Dhamma and, and, and uh, uh, practice some jhana during the day, it does work. It really works. So it, it does decrease my suffering to a, to a certain amount, but I'm always kind of, uh, it's kind of like the Sopranos, you know, I, I want to get away from from, from all that stress, but it keeps drawing me back. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but, uh, I, I really, 
like the feeling of hope I get when I hear the Suda that uh, I do have a poss possibility of, uh, of reducing some suffering in my life and hopefully others as well. Thank you. Thank you, Josh. It was so well said. I, I know that uh, as I've developed the Dhamma, I, I do not contribute uh, to my own stress, and I don't. I believe I'm not contributing to the world's stress anymore. And I, up until I started changing the quality of my mind, I contributed greatly to the stress of the world, mostly inadvertently, but I, I simply didn't know any better. You know? And that's the, that's the understanding that's developed through the Dhamma. Thank you, Josh. Mateo, how are you this morning? Uh, hi, everybody. Uh, all good. We're good. I'm fine. Matteo well, just uh, completed the uh, <laughs> Truth of Happiness course. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. And this is my first time that I joined uh, the Sang Online because I live in a different country, so it's a different time zone. Yeah, you're, and, where are you yeah, now? Where are you? Where, where, where are you, Matteo? Uh, I'm Italian, but I'm based in Scotland. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I really enjoyed to, to hear uh, the sutra and um, the, me the metaphor with the flower is really helps a lot to visualize exactly uh, our uh, our level of suffering. Yeah. 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 Well, good. I, I'm glad you joined us this morning. Thanks. Thank you. Tom, how are you? Very good. Thank you, John. Good to um, see you. Yeah, great to see uh, um, uh, you and uh, uh, I'm looking forward to hearing from everyone else uh, shortly. Um, uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed the teachings as ever. It's, um, it's a great, just a, it's a very important sort of part of my day just to slow down a little bit and to reflect. Um, I don't have anything um, to sort of add, I don't think right now, um, or any questions for a change. <laughs> so uh, I'll just take uh, noble silence this week. Thank you. I'm glad you joined us, Tom. David, how are you this morning? There's a line that was essentially saying, uh, don't look out to others. Worry about yourself. Yeah. And think of the world as a flame. And people want to join with how to figure out how to fix the world as a flame. Yep. Looking outwards. And really what's a flame is your mind and your ignorance of the Four Noble Truths. Yep. And it's such a big body of work to be done for yourself that it's a distraction to look out at what John Haspel is doing wrong. Yeah. And you know, with, even with right effort, it's daunting. Mm -hmm. But it's the work that needs to be done. Yeah. And the, the world is a flame, is always a flame. But what you have control over is the work that you're doing yeah. for yourself. And the byproduct will be, as you said, you're not contributing yep. to that outward flame. Yeah. So, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, always wise words, David. And that, it, it's, it, it, it's surprising that we haven't learned in millions of years of human history how important a, a personal example is to the rest of us. 
you know, it, it's all, it, it, it seems like most of the world is geared towards other people changing. And uh, it never works, does it? We've been trying to, to improve the human experience by changing other things rather than changing ourselves on an individual level. And it just doesn't work. Good morning, Jen. Good morning. <laughs> um, yeah, I just was thinking about um, how managing out here is it's like useless <clears throat> and stressful. Um, I was thinking about the sphere of control and the idea that only I only have control over myself, and that's yeah. That's just what I was thinking about when you guys were talking about me. Um, but I don't think I have anything else to add. This has been great. Um, I really I agree with Matteo. The the metaphor in this one is really powerful and very very helpful to kind of boil down complex concepts within the Dhamma to sort of these nuggets that you can hold in mind. Yeah. Thank you, Jen. There's <laughs> such powerful teaching. And uh, Jen will be teaching next Saturday's class right here. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Rob. Hello, John. <clears throat> I'm starting to really grow into this, this <laughs> Dhamma plot here. Uh, I have to uh, keep a clamp down on my, my scholarly approach to things because it, it doesn't always uh, help the teacher. Uh, but yeah, and then I see this. It, the metaphors that he's using here are just so great. You know, he's, he's talking about the, uh, the realm of, of death and all its gods. And then he's, he brings in the garden maker. And the garden maker in India is a little guy walking down the street with little strings of marigolds that people use to do their morning puja for, for their, their home altar. Or if you're, you're meeting your guru, you give him a, a garland of, of Marigolds, yeah. and, and uh, it, it's that 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 daily uh, detail that he puts into it, and it's it's a complete combination of you know all of that. Yeah. You you just you know you're you're going through your life, you're thinking you're doing something important, and it's rubbish. Yeah. Uh, and think of how what the courage it took to say that. You know, yeah. this, really one man in the face of oh, that yeah. whole culture. I mean, it's, it's amazing that he was only attacked, like, twice by, David, <laughs> yeah. by, by his own cousin. You yeah. know? Yeah. He should have been, been uh, you know, run out of every town with his force mm -hmm. because he just, he just tore it all down. Yeah. Uh, everything that people thought was, was important in life, he just ripped it apart. Yeah. Uh, and... But, but again, the importance is like how you how you deal with that. You know, where, where do you find your own? Your, where where are you in the garden? Yeah. Are, are you garden? Are you? Um, 
dressing up your 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 old beliefs uh, and um, because that's where the real work is. Yeah. This one of the last lines here of uh, the uh, the sage is like a bee going from flower to flower, you know, not harming anything, just taking a little bit of of, of honey, and that's that's all he needs. Yeah. But, you know that that I can I can relate to. Yeah. This this yeah yes I, I do like to live life this way. Yeah. I've always been taught to to you know dream big and, and be ambitious and all that stuff. It never worked. And at this point I can I can live my life and I you know I, I do what I do good do well and uh, I get paid for. Yeah. And uh, it always it feels really well balanced. Yeah. Uh, and having this here is, is wonderful. Yeah, these are just just these. It's like a little picture show that goes on. Yeah. Uh, just I I can see why this was all gathered you know, for for the bhikkhus going, going about their, their daily stuff to, to have to, to have in their pocket, basically. They didn't have a pocket. Uh, that they had that, those sayings to, yeah. to constantly refer back to as they went around. It's a great analysis, Ron. You, you, uh, from someone who had a natural aversion to this, mm -hmm. um, I mean, you, you really understand the breadth of the Dhammapada. It, it is very simple, but like the Dhamma, it's so broad in its application. Yeah. And, and that's just what it was. The uh, novice bhikkhus and bhikkhunis did carry this around in, a, in, their, in the back pocket of their mind because of repetitiveness. You know, yeah. They heard this over and over again from their particular teacher. And so as they're walking around the countryside, they simply call it back up and say, oh, yeah, this is a situation that relates that way and maintain the Dhamma. Thank you, Ron. Brett, good morning. Good morning. Good to be here. Uh, thanks for the teaching. It's good to hear everybody's uh, explanation on it. Uh, and, uh, yeah, kind of have, you know, a little bit of cloudy mind and, and it's good to hear the teaching and, you know, be able to gather what I need. Um, only gather what you need. Yeah. And, uh, I think there's, there's so much that doesn't have to be in there. Um, for the mind, I guess, what does. So, yeah. Good to be here. Thank you. Thank you, Brett. I'm glad you're here this morning. Good morning, Tim. Good morning, buddy. Good morning. Good morning. Um, this was very, uh, one of the most for me, one of the most difficult suttas, I guess it's not a sutta, study to really understand. Um, you prefaced it from the last teaching on the uh, leading into the realm of death at, towards, with the three, in regards to the three marks of existence. Um, and I got when I first read this, I, I, from my, I guess from my conditioned mind, and maybe from my context of how my mind works, got it all 
lot of different things out of it. Um, and listening to everybody in the class and listening to you speak, um, I kind of have a different understanding. Um, the realm of death, and you stated this in, in your intro, is impermanence in the three marks of existence interacting. That is the realm of death because it's not understanding this. Yeah. It's right. Well, and also, you know, life is moves in a circular rhythm, uh, repeating itself. Right. That's what life does. Birth, death, birth, death, generations upon generations, and I, so long as humans exhibit ignorance of the four noble truths. There's going to be that cycle over and over again. The past and the present to the future. And so Buddha's warning of the mortals and their realms of gods, like somehow it's gonna end, is palpable. You know, I mean it's it's not gonna it's it's gonna continue. It's, it's this merry-go-round that humans are on until humans can wake up. So what Ram just said too just kind of made me realize as well that the emphasis on the wise restraint, the sutta talks about virtue and then Ram mentioned about the bee going from place to place not doing any harm. And that wise restraint does support virtuous, the virtuous factors of the Eightfold Path. Yep. Um, so there's a lot there's so much in here. We could, I mean, I could go on and on, and I don't want to, I don't have too much time, but there's nuggets that, <laughs> but I think it also depends on the context of one's quality of mind and the personality, too. Because, like I said, I was looking at something more empirical regarding the three marks of existence, and it's never that way. It's subtle because three marks of existence are always there. That's why we're called the three marks of existence. And these other subtle things I did not recognize, I really appreciate the Sangha and you pointing them out to me. I really got a much more profound understanding of this teaching um, with regards to that. So thank you very much for that. I th thank you so much for what you just <laughs> said, Tim. The, the, uh, the, the understanding of the three marks of existence is the is the fundamental understanding that's developed through the Dhamma because it, that a misunderstanding results in ongoing stress and suffering. So the, the, the cycle of physical human life seems to be generation after generation of birth and death. That's a, that's a truth, but it's not a noble truth. The, the truth of it is, is just that, that that's what occurs as a consequence of having a human life, but there's nothing personal about that process. What's personal about the process of beginning in birth and ending in death is the quality of my mind in that continuum at any point. So that's what we're developing an understanding of. It's not the, and you, Tim wasn't inferring this, but the inference of any type of speculative existence is there's some way that I can establish myself in eternity whether it's as an eternal soul or as someone granted a, uh, a non-physical life through grace, through my own, how, because I was such a wonderful human being, that now, I, as I'm, now I'm an, an extraordinary human being, but I was so wonderful, 
I get to have this gift of eternal life. That's all speculation. It all distracts us from what we're doing right now. And a good example of that is I might be a good person with a hope that I'll get a reward for it. I've just lost my mind and I've lost my life. Or I'm going to be a good person because it's a natural reflection of my understanding. I just started living my life. Do you see the difference? That's the key to the Dhamma. It's so the outward appearance of a human being living their life is of no consequence at all. It's the quality of their mind. Going back to the first lesson here, mind governs all. Mind governs all. Much more important than the, my outward actions. So, thank you, Tim. Good morning, Becky. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, John. <clears throat> I really have enjoyed listening to what everybody said about this sutta. Um, and every time I come, I just feel so happy that the Dharma is something that I have been introduced to. Very stressful week. <laughs> And it's been, it's very difficult not to get, for me anyway, not to get sucked in to <clears throat> the flames that are in the world right now. And uh, because I've been practicing as long as I have, I can recognize that. And even when I recognize it, it's very difficult still to come back to myself, to try to see what I'm doing to myself. But now, eventually, through practicing jhana, through reading about the dhamma, through thinking about not taking things personally, this is not me, this is not mine, all the things that we practice at point of contact, I'm able to bring myself back to a peaceful place which is so incredible when I'm finally able to get there again. So thank you. Uh -huh. Well said, Becky. That, that, while, you were, while you were talking, in the back of my head, the, the Hiyasitu was playing, this is not me, this is not mine. And it, that, that simple though profound understanding changes the experience of what's occurring. You know, this doesn't, whether it's you know, globally, nationally, or personally, this is not me, this is not mine, this is not what I am. And all the tension falls away because of that recognition. It's the essence of the Dhamma. Thank you. <laughs> What's that? It's just a matter of doing it. Yeah, but, well, not you but, and you are doing it. It's, it's, the, it's the familiarity of conditioned thinking that makes it so strong. Right. It's where we used to go to. We are not, not in the past. We are used 
it's familiar to us to go that way, to have our minds slip into that type of reaction and that type of distraction. And so the concentration we develop in jhana meditation allows us to recognize that process that we've lost our mind again and come back into what's occurring. It's the essence of restraint. You, you described it beautifully, Becky. Thank you. Thank you John. Good morning, Kevin. Fine, How are you? Very well. Um, I hope I get all this, what I want to say straight. <laughs> my mind mixed up, but... Um, Take your time, before, we got all day. Yeah, before, um, before I came to meet you in these classes and I thought about Buddhism, um, it was about lotuses and statues or, or symbol of Buddha sitting in a lotus. Yeah. And then it becomes, and it, it always meant to me, and I think to many people, that this is where it's at. You have to worship these things. Yeah. And they become the, the direction for where you're headed. You just have to think about the lotus blossom. You just have to think about the Buddha. And when I visited Asia, I watched people bring garlands and deck statues of the Buddha. And I thought, okay, that's what they do before I knew any of this. But this sutta and this teaching just, you know, it, you can see how they did it because Buddha talks about the lotus as such an important symbol um, and a, a metaphor just to about the Dharma. Yeah. People get distracted by the lotus blossom and they're, they're focused just on that. Yeah. Um, and then just taking off from what Becky was just saying, what I've been thinking about, I mean, there, you know, the lotus blossom can blossom out of rubbish on the side of the road. But also that, that rubbish is really inside us, and I think he's yeah. saying that. You yeah. know, we have the three marks of existence, and we have anger, and we have lust, and we have deluded thinking, and they will continue to come up. But we also have the, those blossoms inside us that eventually will flower. And someday, may it be for all of us. Wow. That was beautiful. <laughs> I, I did agree. It. That, you did it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where it came from. Yeah, such a it comes really. from knowing being introduced to the Bible. Yeah, it comes from your own right effort. Thank you, Kevin. That was really it was beautiful. Um, as always, all of your shares were were beautiful and right on target. It's remarkable to me um, how far you've all developed a Dhamma. I know, you, you know you're blessed to have the world's greatest teacher, but you, <laughs> you, you've done, you, you, you congratulate yourself because you've really, you've done the work and this and all of you, uh, like I just said, Matteo just finished a 10 week Truth to Happiness course, something that we've all done. Um, we're all developing the Dhamma as intended and we're reaping the benefits of that, that understanding. Matteo, I realized your first time joining us, the, the goggles that I'm wearing just helped me see in case you were wondering what's he doing with those things on. I, it just helps my vision a little bit. Um, so we're going to continue next Saturday with Jen uh, teaching the fifth chapter. Next Tuesday, um, I, we're just going to have a, a different sutta. We, just, we won't be doing this structured study, just so that the schedule lined up for Jen. Um, I just think that uh, the fifth chapter is perfect. Any, any chapter, Jen would nail it. Um, but I'm looking forward to that. And then in, in a couple more weeks, Ron will be teaching a class, then Kevin, and then uh, Matt towards the end of this. Um, so you'll, you'll get to, to hear our teachers again. Uh, I know that you all heard them on our uh, online retreat, and what a wonderful job they did. But, uh, I'm looking forward to it. 
Um, we'll finish with metta, as we always do. So find your relaxed meditation posture. Gently close your eyes. Gently close your mouths. And these are the Buddha's words on metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state, let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class this morning. Peace. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.